there. Um, really let me encourage you next weekend when Jeff and Rebecca are back uh, that you take the time and thank them for what they do. Jeff has uh, not only uh, the responsibility of our student ministries, uh, but he has also expanded his, his um, responsibilities in overseeing small groups. So if you are interested in being in a small group, if you're not in one, then just make sure that you pick up the phone and call, and he will make sure that he helps you get tagged into a small group. If you would like to start a small group, uh, he would be the person to talk with concerning that. Um, and in addition to that, Rebecca um, began uh, Trilogy, which is our worship service for our children that happens during this worship service, and so she oversees and directs that as a part of her responsibilities. So um, we as a church would be hurting in a big way uh, if they were not with us. So we, I am just so, so grateful for both of them. They're precious people, and uh, I just can't say enough good things about them. So, uh, all right, well, let's take your uh, message notes, and we are in uh, James chapter 1 and verses uh, 13 uh, through 18 this morning. And remember that uh, James is the half-brother of Jesus who came to faith in Christ after his resurrection, and Jesus made a personal, um, personally came to James, and James came to faith in Christ. And uh, after that encounter with the resurrected Christ, um, James uh, was in the upper room uh, awaiting the Holy Spirit. James grew uh, exponentially and his walk and his faith with the Lord. And as Ray said, he became the pastor of the Jerusalem church. He was uh, one of the key individuals who led the Jerusalem council uh, in uh, Acts chapter 15, was, which would help set the direction of the early church for the days to come. And he's writing a letter to the Christians who have been scattered throughout the Roman Empire who are being persecuted for their faith. And so James challenges them, and really this is the title of the series is Uncommon Faith. He challenges them in 13 different areas of their lives to walk with an uncommon faith. Uh, uncommon means that it's something that is unusual. It's something that goes beyond the norm. It's what one is willing to do that others are not willing to do. And James makes uh, the same uh, challenge to us, uh, that if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, if we want the world to look at us differently, if we want them to see Jesus through us, then we're going to have to live in an uncommon faith. And so he begins with the issue of trials that we face. Common faith would say, God, uh, remove the trials, get rid of them, keep me from them. Uh, just, you know, I, I don't want anything to do with trials. I just kind of want you to put me in this um, little Christian bubble and protect me from everything that could ever happen in my life. Uh, that's common faith. That's something that everybody wants, right? But uncommon faith says, God, you know what? I understand, and I'm, I'm going to consider it pure joy, not feel joy, but feel it pure joy, but I'm going to consider it pure joy. Because I know that in the midst of this trial, you are at work in my life, and you are forming and fashioning my life into the likeness of Jesus Christ. You are using, you are leveraging um, these trials to build up my faith, to mature me, and to deepen my trust in you. And therefore, if you were to take this away, it would be counterproductive to what you're seeking to do in my life. Therefore, I consider pure joy that you are actively involved in my life, and I want to remain in that trial as long as I need to in order for you to accomplish what it is you need to do. That's uncommon faith. That is faith that goes beyond the norm. And so uh, James challenges us in such a way. And common faith, 
Uh, common faith wants to bail, right? We want to get out of the trial as quick as we can. Common faith wants to complain. Common faith wants to blame. Uh, you know, it, we just don't want to remain under uh, the trial until God has accomplished what he's needed to accomplish. So one of the things I challenge you with is, James says, look, start praying for wisdom. Well, what does he mean by that? I just kind of just kind of pared it down to, you want to pray for wisdom in the trial and deliverance from the trial. But the difference is, I don't want deliverance from the trial until God has accomplished what he's seeking to accomplish in the trial. But while I'm in the trial, I do want to understand. I want God to, to speak with me and to guide me and to direct me so that as he is unfolding his master plan in my life, that I am keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. And he says, to ask with wisdom without doubting. That word doubting means to not vacillate, to not be back and forth, up and down, all around, in other words, don't treat God like a consultant. It's not like, God, uh, tell me what I should do, show me what I should do, and then just put that in a basket of options from all the opinions you've collected from your friends off Facebook. And then you ultimately decide what you're going to do. No, 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 no. God, God wants you to keep your ear in tune with the Spirit of God, to walk in step with the Spirit so that He is actually guiding and directing you through this entire process. Now, if we had to remove, which a lot of people look at that verse and say, well, you've got to remove all doubt if God's going to, going to give you the wisdom, if that were true. <laughs> well, what about Peter? When the apostle James is arrested and martyred, and Peter is arrested and put in jail awaiting trial for the same kind of sentencing, the early church is at a house praying for Peter, and uh, God releases him miraculously. Remember that story in the book of Acts? The angel comes and gets, I mean, Peter's asleep. He's got to wake him up for crying out loud. Move all the chains off, brings him out. He's standing at the door where the church is praying behind that door, and he's knocking on it. A little servant girl comes and sees that it's Peter, runs back and tells the church who's praying for his release, hey, Peter's on the front porch. And their response is, crap. He must be dead. It's his ghost out there. Where was their faith, right? How much faith did that take to think, well, all of our prayer resulted in was Peter being killed, and now his ghost is out here on the front porch. No, 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 no. It's not that our faith is perfected. Everywhere you go in the New Testament, when Jesus came across people with little faith or great faith or wherever their faith was, he always built a ladder between himself and that which he wanted to do in that individual's life. What God just doesn't want us to do is to treat him like a consultant, but to submit to him in every form and fashion in our lives letting him do within us what he needs to do. Now, I know that with every trial that you and I face, if we're not careful, and why James moves to this next section of temptation, is that a trial can become a temptation in your life if you're not careful. And the temptation is to what? To get away, to move out of the trial as quickly as I can, to move away from the trial, to not allow God to accomplish what he wants, but to accomplish what I want to accomplish. God, I'll tell you what, if you're not going to take care of this trial, I'll take care of the trial. I'll bypass you, and I'll do everything on my power to make sure this turns out the way that I want it to turn out. So a trial can become a temptation. 
Um, in fact, the word trial and temptation in the Greek in the book of James is the exact same word. What differentiates the two is the way the context of understanding it. Trials are the testing of our faith. Uh, temptation is discussing our propensity for sin, our propensity, our natural bent towards rebellion. Let's say, for example, you're going through a massive financial trial, and you know what the Word of God says concerning finances, and you're trying to walk according to God's Word, and you're trying to you know, hang on to your faith and, and, and just waiting for God to come through, and God's doing a work in your life and teaching you how to trust Him in deeper ways. But then all of a sudden, it's just like this thing just keeps going on and on and on, and it's like you see no end in sight. Therefore, the temptation is to do what? God, I'll take care of this. And then I just whip out my MasterCard and I just start charging things all over the place to get myself out from underneath the trial. So now I no longer have to trust in God. I've trusted in my own capability and what I can do and the way that I can do it. And therefore, the temptation was to set God aside, bypass him, and move on. Now listen, there are two things you need to remember about temptation. Whatever you're being tempted with, the stakes are far higher than you, imagine, you could imagine. Far more reaching than just the temptation that is sitting there in front of you. And every temptation, here's the question you have to answer. Can God be trusted? Can I really trust him? Can I really trust God for this in my life? Can I really trust God to bring me contentment in this area of my life? Can I really trust God to bring you know, affirmation or self-esteem or whatever it is that you're looking for and whatever it is that you are seeking to acquire through that temptation that is in front of you. So keep those two things in mind before you make the decision, the ultimate decision to cave into, to give into, to make the decision that you're going to follow that desire of your heart outside the boundary of God because the stakes are far more reaching than you would ever imagine. And it's always the question that comes back to you is, can God be trusted? So I want us to answer three questions today regarding temptation. What is the source of temptation that James deals with? What are the steps? What is the process of temptation? And how do you stop that process from unfolding? Because if you get to a certain level in that process, there isn't, there isn't enough willpower in you to stop it. it it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. It's going to result. So there is a way you can stop it before it gets there. And then what is our solution? What, what can we do to help prepare ourselves for what we know is going to come on a day-in and day-out basis when we deal with this issue of temptation? So in the answer to the first question, what is the source of your temptation? I find it interesting that James just kind of launches into, well, when tempted, hey, no one should say, I'm being tempted by God because God's not temptable. Therefore, he tempts no one. Why would James launch into that right out of the gate? Because that's exactly where people go. All the way back in the Garden of Eden, when Adam was questioned by God, what are you doing? What have you done? God, it is that woman you gave me. That was the problem. And so he blamed God. And people blame God all the time 
for the yielding of their temptation. And their line of thinking or reasoning of thinking goes something like this. Well, God created everything. Therefore, it stands to reason that he created this impulse within me to do things that I shouldn't be doing, to do evil, and therefore he created sin, and ultimately it is his responsibility. In other words, my line of reasoning is, I can't help it. This is just the way God made me. And if God doesn't want me to do it, he's going to have to take away the desire. Notice what James says. It's not God who's tempting you, but it is your own evil desires, your own evil cravings within you that is the source of the problem. But as long as I can blame somebody else, I don't have to take responsibility. For example, I, I confronted a man who had two, he was single, he had two affairs with two married women. And I confronted him. He's a Christian. Was in this church. And when I confronted him, here's what he said. Well, God's the one who gave me the desire. If he wants me to stop, he's going to have to take the desire away. Wrong answer. It's not God's desire. It's your desire. It's not his to take away. The fact of the matter is, when it comes to your sexuality, there are always going to be desires in that area of your life. Because that's the way God created you. But he's created you to express those desires in a way that brings honor and glory to him rather than in a way that does not. In a way that is harmful to you. And so there are those who blame God. Some people, well, uh, they just blame other people. Well, it's not my fault. Um, you know, it's the person, people that I was with. Uh, it was a situation I found myself into. It was the crowd who was with me. Uh, I'm not responsible. Again, in the garden, both Adam and Eve were blaming all over the place. Look, we all have hot buttons in our lives, right? You that are married, you understand about hot buttons. Your children understand about your hot buttons as parents. They know how to push those buttons to get you to explode in certain ways or to get you to react in certain ways out of anger, out of frustration, uh, whatever your hot button might be. But listen, if somebody is pushing pushing your hot button, your response to that hot button is not their fault. It's yours. It's yours to own. It's your responsibility how you respond to what it is that's happening around you. So we can't really blame others. And you'll note that James, <laughs> he doesn't say that you can blame Satan. He doesn't even mention him. He says very distinctly that each one, that's each one of us, when we are tempted, we are tempted by our own evil desires, our own evil inner cravings. And so some people blame circumstances. Well, maybe it's not necessarily God's fault. Maybe it's not necessarily somebody else's fault or Satan's fault, but maybe it's just the circumstances. You know what? If you grew up in the house that I grew up in with the parents that I had, you would understand. If you grew up in my neighborhood, you would understand why I'm the way I am. If you grew up in, you know, uh, the city or the state or where the country, it doesn't matter. We can, we can blanket everything without taking, ever taking responsibility for our own actions when it comes to this issue of temptation. And that's our natural bent. That is our default response oftentimes when we yield to the temptation that has been put in front of us. We want to blame, we, you know, we want to, 
We want to push the responsibility off onto somebody else. And James comes right back to us and says, that's what common faith does. But uncommon faith is willing to take responsibility for our actions. So when it comes to the source of temptation, I kind of look at it like this. There is this internal source which James says are our own desires, our own cravings, our own lusts, whatever those are. And that, the word lust doesn't necessarily mean just sexual lust. It's, it's any longing or inner craving. And it's, you know, many desires that God has given to us are good, right? So eating is a good desire, is it not? Uh, sleeping's a good desire. I like sleep. I don't know about you. Um, you know, sex is a good desire. God's the one who created it. But if I take what God has given to us as a gift, remember what James says, every gift, every perfect gift has come down to us from the Father. And so those are just three out of many gifts that God's given to us. But the temptation can be, and to move us beyond outside the parameter of God's will is, for example, the Bible says that eating, eating can become gluttonous. Eating can become a coping mechanism. And so I, 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 can, I can dive into the sin of gluttony. Um, sleep, oversleeping, sleeping all the time can lead to laziness. God has a lot to say about laziness. Even sexual activity within marriage is good, but outside of it can be very harmful. And, and there's reasons why God has put boundaries around it. And so don't think that um, just because you have these desires... Not all desires are evil, but they can be used in evil ways. They're given to us as good gifts from God. Now, here's what James says happens to us. These desires within us, they get dragged away. They become enticed to operate outside the boundary of God's design. The desire draws us out from our place of shelter and our place of security where we become vulnerable to sin. So there's that internal source and then there's the external force. The external force is deception. Deception is always a part of the process of leading us to sin. So here's the statement on your outline. When the internal source and the external force connect with one another, it's always going to result in sin. Because you're going to be baited away. You're going to be enticed. And that baiting, that enticement, always is leveraged towards what? Your desires. Whatever those desires are within you. Some of them may be God-given desires. Some of them are just purely the desires of the flesh. And you can read in Galatians 5 what those desires of the flesh look like. And so in the, if you were here for small groups, our, um, Francis Chan talked about a, a fisherman. Being, you know, you, it's kind of like fishing, okay? If I'm going fishing, whatever kind of fish I want, to, I want to attract, that's the kind of bait that I'm going to use, right? So I, I'm going to entice you with a bait that is attractive to you. And if I'm, if I'm fishing for walleye, I'm not going to use the same kind of bait that I would for perch on Lake Erie. Now watch this. Although Satan is not mentioned here, the, certainly your enemy, the evil one, 
has great knowledge of what entices you, where your weaknesses are, where your vulnerabilities are, where your desires may, be, may get out of control. And so James says that once these desires become evil, it causes us to be enticed, which means, again, to be baited or deceived. It's translated to be hooked on. You ever heard the phrase, he, they're hooked on drugs. They're hooked on pornography. They're hooked on wh- whatever it is they're hooked on. And that's exactly what Satan's goal is for you. So here's the deal. When you have a desire that he understands can get out of control, this is a, the, the desire is yours. You have to own it. And so Satan just comes along, he baits that desire because he wants to entice you. He wants to drag you away. He wants to pull you out of the place of safety in the parameter of God's will for you so that you operate, if this table is being God's will, he wants you to operate outside the parameters of God's will because he knows that what? That once this desire has conceived itself, it's going to give birth to something and it's going to give birth to sin and sin will always give birth to death. And so we've all been hooked by and lured by all kinds of things in our lives. They look so good. They look so attractive. They look so satisfying. So what are the steps then to the process? Because remember, James says, I don't want you to be deceived. I think if you understand what the steps are in the process, that, you, that we can go back now and watch this. Rather than just dealing with the fruit of our temptation and yielding to it, we learn how to cut it off at the root. Until you cut the root off, you're going to find yourself constantly going right back to the same evil desires over and over and over again. But if you deal with the root and the desire is no longer there, it's no longer temptable. You say, well, how in the world can that ever happen? It can happen. All right, so let's look. Notice when he steps into verse 15, he says, then, uh, it's a transitional. After desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when it's full grown, it gives birth to death. So when desire and deception connect, then a decision is made, which you step out in disobedience, and then uh, it gives birth to death. So here are the steps to yielding to temptation. Again, it starts with a desire, right? It always starts with a desire, whatever that desire is for you. And then the, the second word is deception. He says you're dragged away, you're enticed. So you have this internal uh, source, and it's connecting now with an external force. You're being baited, you're being attracted, you're being enticed, and uh, you're, you're being dragged away. Why would we allow that to happen? Why would we allow ourselves to live under the umbrella of such deception? Why wouldn't we just like, man... I, I know this is not in the parameter of God's will. Man, I'm just going to stop this thing now. Because the Bible says that our hearts, our hearts are so, so easily deceived. That they're rebellious. And here's, here's the greatest deception that Satan has ever, ever leveled against the world and against the church. Here's our line of thinking. Rebellion equals freedom. Rebellion equals freedom. 
We don't actually say it like that, but that is basically the premise we operate and have operated under since we were like teenagers. How many of you in your homes and your, your, your parents, they set the parameters for you? They said, this is what you can and what you cannot do. And as you got older and uh, your desires became a little more intense in a variety of different areas of your life, and now all of a sudden you feel like you felt like your parents have hemmed you in. That, man, I have no freedom of expression. Uh, I just feel like I'm in a cage. I'm like a lion waiting to get out. And it just made sense to us that if I could just rebel against the rules of my family, my parents, if I could just move outside the boundaries of their rules, then, man, I would be free to do what I want without ever considering why our parents set those parameters to begin with. Now, I understand that parents, parents do not always make the best decisions. Sometimes parents can, can so can try to constrain their kids and limit their, their ability to do anything in fear of them going outside the parameter of whatever the bigger parameter is that you actually like put a chokehold on your kids. That's not good. But we understand from, as followers of Jesus Christ that God has set the parameters for our lives and our desires, whatever those desires are, he set the parameter for our safety, for our benefit, so that we get the most out of life with the least amount of wear and tear. And so as adults, we know that rebellion doesn't equal freedom because we have prisons full of people who believe that rebellion equaled freedom only to be you know, lose all their freedoms, and now they are incarcerated. And we're just too smart for that, right? But there is still a deception that happens within us that carries with us into adulthood, and the more adult version of deception goes like this. Well, if God's going to set the parameters, if I disagree with that rule or that parameter then I'm either going to ignore it, disobey it, or disregard it. And guess what? Your enemy is banking on that. He's banking on it. He wants you to say, mm, God, this is just way too constrictive. Let me outside the boundary. Let me have some freedom here. And so you say in your heart, you know what, I, I just kind of disagree with this, so I'm going to ignore it. I'm just going to kind of disregard it. I'm just going to disobey it, just flat out disobey it. I'm just flat out going, you know what, I know what the, I hear Christians say this. I know what the Word of God says, but I am not following it. And it's just the adult version of our teenage mindset when it comes to freedom and authority. And somehow I'm going to be free and do what I want to do. But instead of dismissing all authority, just instead of dismissing the whole Bible, I just like one rule at a time. All right, let me sift through the rules of God and uh, see which ones I really want to adhere to and which ones I think are out of line. We do this all the time, right? Driving. I'm driving down a road, and I was driving down the road, you know, heading to Circleville for my niece's wedding, and I'm thinking, I'm going on this road, and I'm like, why in the world is this only 25 miles an hour? This ought to be a 35-mile-an-hour zone. There's nothing around here that should cause this to be 25 miles an hour. I'm going 35. Amen. All right? Yeah. 
until the popo comes in behind you with the blue light special going on. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, man, I can't believe that. that." So do I get out and argue with them about whether or not, hey, you know, you guys need to make this 35 miles an hour. What in the world are you talking about? This is just not, speed limit's just not big enough. And that's exactly the way we oftentimes approach God. I don't like it. It's too constrictive. I just think I'll ignore it and act like it's not there. I'm just going to disregard it. I'll just flat out disobey it. And so the problem is we evaluate the what. What is God asking me to do? And what is God requiring of me? When you need to be asking about the who. Who is it? That gave it to me. If you believe, as James says, that every good and perfect gift is from God above coming down to you, then would it not be that I would think that when I look at the Word of God and I see the parameters in which God has given me within to which to operate with my desires, that He put those parameters there? For my protection. You would think that, right? But our hearts are just a little too rebellious. And here's the overarching principle. Your attitude and your response towards God's word and any governing authority he has placed over you is really a reflection of your attitude and response to your Father in heaven. Let me repeat that. Your attitude and response to the word of God, which is a governing authority over you, or any governing authority God's placed over you, is a direct reflection of your attitude and response to your heavenly father. And if I live under the deception that if I disagree with God and what he says about the subject, therefore I can disobey, then I'm going to spend my entire life hopping and jumping all over this word to figure out what it is I want to follow and what it is I don't want to follow. You're sunk. You're deceived. And that's the deception of it all. Here's the third step into progress is a decision. So when I'm, I have this desire and I'm wanting to move outside the parameters of God and so there's that deception going on within me and I can self-deceive myself. I, Satan can help in that deception process. But, but at some point, I've got to make a decision, right? So the decision brings about a conception, he says. It's like a, a baby in the womb. And as that baby's in the womb, it is growing, right? And it's got to come out, right? It, the baby's not going to stay there forever, uh, when that nine months are up, you know, it, it's, it's coming forth and it's going to give birth. And it's, he says, it's going to give birth to what? It's going to be give birth to sin. And so again, remember, sin will always, there's always more at stake than what you, you think. And, and it's always a question of whether or not God can be trusted, even though he says he's the true source of every good thing. And so then that decision leads to disobedience. That is, it gives birth to sin. It's conceived in my will. And my will says, this is what I'm going to do. And when my will says, this is what I'm going to do, I'm going to yield to the temptation. I'm following it. Now all of a sudden it gives birth to sin and sin gives birth to death. 
And what does that mean to give birth to death? It simply means this, that all sin has built-in consequences. All sin has built-in consequences. You know, it can be, let's say if I had an affair on my wife, and then uh, all of a sudden it's discovered, well, there's built-in consequences, right? She may want to divorce me. I've lost the respect of my children. Uh, You as a church are going to have to deal with that situation and that issue, and you're probably going to ask me to step down from my position here. There's all kinds of built-in consequences that happen as a result. It might be the death of your dream, the death of your ambition. It might be the death of your, your conscience, your conscience becomes to be hard, get hardened, and you're no longer hearing the Spirit. Now look at this prog- prog- progression. Desire, deception, decision, disobedience, and death. At what point, at what point do you think we've got to put a stop to this so that I no longer begin stair-stepping through this process? Well, the best place to start is with a desire If I don't have the desire, I'm not temptable. I've got to have the desire for Satan can can tempt me. Listen, if I go fishing somewhere where the fish have been fed and fed and fed, and I don't care what I put on that hook, they are so full, they have no desire for that bait. The same concept as us is that we spend as believers most of our time trying to deal with the fruit of our sin. We say things, well, you know what, um, uh, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and, and we deal with the externals, but we never get to the root issue. The root issue is the desire. Cut the head off the desire outside the parameters of God's will, and you will not be temptable in that area. That's why I could take a particular temptation and yield it to you, every one of you in this auditorium, and some of, some of you would be very susceptible to that temptation. Others of you would be like, eh, no big deal. I, I don't need that. Why? Because you don't have the desire. So what are we going to do with these these desires? One of the things that causes us to struggle with the issue of sin is that the consequences of sin are not always immediate. And I'm thinking I'm getting away with something. And for some of you, the desire that you initially have, you just begin kind of experimenting with it. Like shortly after I got saved, as you know, I, I struggled with certain addictions. But what led me into that was like, you know what? My friends are doing it. I don't see any negative consequences in their lives. They're having a good time on the weekends. They don't do it during the week. So, hey, must be good for me too. So I dive into the same thing. The only problem is I developed an addiction to that. They didn't. So you never know what you're going to become addicted to when you're yielding to temptation. And so uh, delayed consequences, you think you're getting away with something. You think you've outsmarted God. You think that somehow that you keep it concealed and covered in behind closed doors like you're getting away with something. No, you're not. There is always, always, always a death that is attached to it. And watch this, the most dangerous death is the death of your conscience. The most dangerous death is that where you get to the point where you can no longer hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, as you're progressing through these steps, all along the way, the Holy Spirit has been saying, don't do 
that. Get away. Stop. Run. Hide. Don't. Do not do that. It is not going to work well for you. But we just disregard his voice. And the longer you disregard his voice, the longer your conscience becomes hardened and seared. I'm telling you, I don't care how long it takes, but you're being set up for a huge fall. Do you know how many pastors are falling out of the ministry every year because of marital affairs? Hundreds. Hundreds. I could name pastors who have ministries, churches with thousands of people that are no longer in ministry. It's because they began through the step of the process and thought, this will never happen to me. And that's what every single one of them says. But it did happen because of deception that led to a decision, that led to an action, and now things have died. Their marriages, their ministries, a lot of things. So what is the solution for this? Let me just mention a couple real quick. Number one is watch and pray. You better watch and pray. Before Jesus' crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, he gave, Jesus gave to the inner three, Peter, James, and John, some good advice. Here's what he says. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Prayer has to do with that internal source, that desire. It connects us with God. Prayer connects us with God so that our desire can become more like his desires. The psalmist wrote, delight yourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Listen, prayer, you've got to stay connected to the Father so that the Holy Spirit keeps your conscience so clear and so in tune with him. You know, the Bible says if you walk in the Spirit, you'll not indulge yourself in the actions of the flesh. You've got to stay close and clean with the Father and walk in that relationship in the Spirit and allow him to cleanse your desires, your internal desires. And he says, watch. Watch has to do with the external force, the deception. You've got to be on alert. You've got to look for the bait. Listen, you're always going to get baited in some way, and usually you are baited with some kind of lie. So here's step number two is you've got to name the lie and speak the truth. With every deception that comes to you, it is encapsulated in a lie. And you need, to, uh, you need to acknowledge the lie. You need to see the lie for what it is. Because I can assure you that the lie is, ah, if you step outside the boundaries, don't worry about it. It's not that big of a deal. It's no big deal to God. It's okay. It's going to be different for you. No, it's not. And, and then you step outside in rebellion. And maybe the consequences of your actions do not befall you immediately. And so you get a little bolder and you get a little more up front. And you just kind of move, move a little further and a little further and a little further away. Do you know the first temptation of Jesus was not turning stones into bread? When Jesus was baptized, the Father spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And so after that baptism experience and hearing the voice of the Father painting Jesus' identity, he is thrust out into the wilderness, and after 40 days of fasting, Satan comes to tempt him. And what's the first thing that Satan asks him? Are, if you are truly 
the Son of God. Then you'll turn these stones into bread. Satan attacked his identity, and that's exactly what he will do to you. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been given a brand new identity in Jesus. And the book of Ephesians so beautifully lays that out. And so a part of your arsenal is you need to equip yourself with who you are in Christ so that you know the truth, so that the truth will combat the lie. And so you, you, you always, there's always a lie encapsulated in the temptation. You must confront the lie with truth. And then it's an act of your will, right? It's a decision. You choose to follow the truth. A lie cannot stand up against truth. You can't think two thoughts at the same time. If your mind, which is the battleground of temptation, is focusing on the truth in prayer and watching, then you're beginning to uproot the desires that are there that are tempting you and leading you down a road of destruction. Here's number three is guard your mind Guard your mind. You can't be tempted with something you don't think. It is no accident the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4, 8, about what we as God's believers should be thinking upon, what should be the grid system by which things come into our mind, whether through our eyes or through our ears, however it's coming through, you ought to it ought to be coming through that grid because we as followers of Christ have thought to ourselves, well, you know, it really doesn't matter what I look at. It doesn't matter what I read. It doesn't matter what I watch on TV. It doesn't matter what movies I watch. I can handle it. It doesn't bother me. I can separate it. I... No, you can't. That's a deception. That is a lie of the evil one. You can't. You're not that good. Look, if I don't put it on my mind, it can't be tempted. But if I'm painting graphic pictures on my mind, then guess what? I give the evil one all kinds of baiting. Uh, I allow my, my internal lusts to get out of control. And it's just a matter of time, my friend. That's why pornography addiction right now in the United States is absolutely rampant, even in the church. And even secular scientists are now saying that when you continue looking at pornography, literally your brain begins to rewire itself. These are temptations. These are issues we have to deal with. And so you had better build an arsenal. You had better prepare yourself to confront the desires that are within you that want to go outside the parameters that God has set around you because if you don't and you start down the stairway of progression, you don't have to get very far and you'll reach that point of no return and you will give in. So let's bow our heads together. Now maybe you're here this morning. Um, I just want to challenge all of us. You know, I, I've just given you three suggestions here. There are multiple things that you need, safeguards that you can set in your life. Um, I was sharing with my men's class, like one of the safeguards I have is that every text that goes across my phone goes across my wife's phone. There are no, I can have no secrets. It's a safeguard, right? Um, what are the safeguards you need to set in, in your life? 
in the area of your own desires that can so easily get out of control. And here's the good news. If you're here this morning, and maybe you're thinking, you know what? But I have so failed God, your failure need not be final. No matter what your sins are, past, present, Jesus came to die on a cross to pay for your sins. Past, present, and future. And when you step over that line and give him your life and begin to follow him, he forgives you. He adopts you into his family. He begins changing you from the inside out. And he gives you the Holy Spirit who empowers you to do what you cannot do on your own. And so might I just encourage all of you here today. Keep in tune with the Spirit. Walk with the Spirit. Listen to the Spirit. And let Him guide and direct your life. And as you've heard me say a thousand times now, He will always put your feet on the best path that leads to the best destination. Because every good and perfect gift comes from above. And God has chosen to give us birth through his word, the word of truth. So name the lie, speak the truth, live the truth as first fruits of all that he has created. Father, I pray this morning for anyone, Lord, that just needs to open up their heart to you just to lay down their mess at your feet and just humble submission, asking you to forgive them. For some, Father, maybe there's someone here who needs to receive Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord. I pray that they'd open their heart to you today and just lay their sins before you and ask you, Father, in the, because you are loving and you are kind, just ask you for forgiveness through your son, Jesus Christ. And that they would yield themselves to him and just allow him to become uh, the director of their lives. May you indwell them with your spirit. May your spirit bear witness to theirs that they have become children of yours as you empower them to walk with you in love and affirmation. Thank you, Father, that we find our identity in Christ and him alone. And that everything that we need, Father, we know that there's no temptation that has overcome us that is not, such as not common to man. But God, you are faithful. You are always faithful to provide us with a way of escape, to enable us to endure up under the temptation if we'll just seek you out. And I pray that for for your children today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we close in song and maybe you open up your heart to pray, to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and I'd love to pray with you after church. Uh, just as soon as we close out, I'll be here at the front um, or you can just put that on your connection card. Maybe there's some other need. I, you know, I'll, I'll hang out here as long as is needed. Maybe it's just something you need prayer over and uh, or just, just to share. Um, I'm just grateful for this church, thankful for, for each of you, and uh, just for your, your sacrificial gifts that you give to this body of believers. Uh, I am so, so grateful. So let's, let's just close out by giving praise to the Lord.